Welcome to Myth Matters, storytelling and conversation about mythology and why myth matters to your life today. I'm your host and personal mythologist, Dr. Katherine Svela. Wherever you may be in this wide, beautiful, crazy world of ours, you are part of this story circle. Today, I have the type of story that you need when radical change (laughs) is required. And this is one of those times, isn't it? I think a person is called to various forms of transformation repeatedly in the course of a lifetime. And this is one of the reasons that we have so many stories about the quest. Stories about the quest or the hero's journey in Joseph Campbell's terms are essentially stories about transformation. And this process begins under a range of circumstances, and it can take a number of different forms. In the last podcast, I shared the story of Jumping Mouse. In that story, the quest begins with a roaring that the mouse can't ignore. He's the only one who hears it, or the only one who is willing to hear it. And his quest begins with curiosity. Well, the story that I have for you today begins with a sick king and three sons and no cure. It's called The Water of Life, and this is a fairy tale that was collected by the Brothers Grimm. There is a blight on the kingdom. The king's state in a fairy tale reflects the state of the kingdom. And a lack of balance. We note the absence of a queen or princess with potentially fatal consequences. In this case, desperation will be the catalyst for the quest. What is going on? in your life right now? Where are you relative to this transformation that's underway? It's a collective one and also then a personal one. I mean, maybe you, like me, are processing the loss of a loved one. Maybe there's been a loss or change in your job, in your home, in your sense of purpose. Maybe you're feeling the urge to move in a new direction. Whether this moment in your life is marked by grief or anticipation, whether you find yourself mired in the swamplands or standing at a crossroads, the old certainties have dissolved. The rules are changing, and they must. The kingdom is crumbling, and the king is sick. And each of us has a role to play in the drama of this transitional time. There is a way through all of this. (laughs) As long as we have a story to tell, the means of living and the meanings of life are found in our storied existence, in the union of heart and mind through a consciously engaged imagination that is in the soul or symbolic life. And this is especially true when we're facing the unknown, 
when we're waiting on the cusp of the new adventure. This is when we need the nourishment and inspiration that comes from the deeper levels of existence, that water of life. Now, let me tell you the story. I invite you to sit back and relax and let the story take you wherever you need to go right now. Note the moments or the details that catch your attention. Whatever it is, this is an opening into the meaning that this story holds for you right now. The Water of Life Once upon a time, there was a king who had three sons. The king had an illness that resisted all cure, and no one believed that he would come out of it with his life. His three sons were very distressed about this. One day they went down into the palace garden and wept. An old man came to them. What causes the three of you so much grief, he asked. They told him that their father was very ill and nothing seemed to cure him, so they expected him to die. Well, said the old man, I know of one more remedy, and that is the water of life. If he drinks of the water of life, he will become well again, but it is very hard to find. The eldest son said, I will manage it. He went straight away to the sick king and asked for permission to search for the water of life. This alone can save you, he said. But the king said, no, the the danger of such a journey is too great. I would rather die. Now, the eldest son begged to go, and he begged so long that finally the king consented. In the privacy of his heart, the prince thought, well, if I bring the water and save his life, then my father will love me best. I will inherit the kingdom. He set out on his horse, sure of success. After a bit of time and distance, he came across a dwarf at the side of the road. Where are you riding away so fast? asked the dwarf. That's not your concern, shorty, said the prince, and he kept on riding without a backward glance. This made the dwarf angry. Not long after, the prince entered a ravine. The path got more and more narrow and the mountains were closer and closer together. And then it was clear that he couldn't go one step further. He found that it was impossible to turn his horse around, or even to dismount and proceed on foot. Wedged in, he was stuck and shut in there as if he were in prison. The sick king waited a long time, for him to return, but he didn't come home. Now the second son said, Father, let me go forth to seek the water. He thought to himself, If my brother is dead, then the kingdom will fall to me. At first the king would not allow him to go. I've lost one son, said the king, and will not lose another. But the second son begged and begged, and at last the king yielded. 
the second prince set out on the same road that his brother had taken. After a bit of time and distance, he came across the dwarf at the side of the road. Where are you riding away so fast? asked the dwarf. That's none of your business, he said, and kept on riding without a backward glance. This made the dwarf angry. Not long after, like his brother, the prince entered a ravine. The path got more and more narrow, and the mountains were closer and closer together, and then it was clear that he couldn't go one step further. He found that it was impossible to turn his horse around or even to dismount and proceed on foot. Wedged in, he was stuck and shut in there as if he were in prison. The sick king waited a long time for him to return, but he didn't come home. Now the youngest begged to be allowed to go forth to fetch the water. The sick king let him go. The youngest prince set out on the same road that his brothers had taken. After a bit of time and distance, he came across the dwarf at the side of the road. Where are you riding away so fast? asked the dwarf. The prince stopped and said, I am seeking the water of life, for my father is sick and will soon die. Do you know, then, where that is to be found? asked the dwarf. No, said the prince. (laughs) I haven't a clue. Your brothers came by here, and they were not polite, said the dwarf. But since you have stopped and shown me some courtesy, I'll tell you where to find the water of life and how to obtain it. It springs from a fountain in the courtyard of an enchanted castle, but you will not be able to make your way to it if I do not give you an iron wand and two small loaves of bread. Strike the iron door of the castle with the wand three times. It will spring open. Inside are two fierce lions, but if you throw a loaf of bread to each of them, they will be quieted. Then hurry to fetch some of the water of life before the clock strikes twelve. Then the door will shut again, and you will be imprisoned. Thank you so much, said the prince. He took the wand and the bread from the dwarf and set out on his way. When he arrived at the castle, everything was as the dwarf had said. He tapped the iron door with the wand, and the third time, it sprang open. He saw the two lions and fed them the bread. Then he entered the castle and came to a large and splendid hall. There sat some enchanted princes, quiet and still as stone. He took the gold rings from their fingers and picked up the sword and loaf of bread that were lying there. In the next chamber... He was greeted by a beautiful maiden. We've all been waiting a long time, she said, and kissed him. Return in one year's time, and we will marry, and you will have this whole kingdom. Now that is the way to the water of life, she said, and pointed to the door. Don't forget to be quick. You must be done before the clock strikes twelve. He went through the door, and there was a room with a beautiful bed. He was very weary and decided to rest and fell fast 
asleep. When he awoke, the clock was striking a quarter to twelve. He sprang up in a fright, ran to the fountain, and drew some water in a cup which stood near. He hurried away then as fast as he could, but the clock struck twelve just as he was passing through the iron door. The door closed with such violence that it caught the back of his foot, and he lost a piece of his heel. But never mind. His joy was so great because he had obtained the water of life for his father, the king. The youngest son headed home, and once again he met the dwarf. The dwarf saw the sword and the loaf. With these you have won great wealth, he said. With the sword you can slay whole armies, and the bread will never come to an end. I don't want to return home without my two brothers, said the youngest prince. Dear dwarf, can you tell me where they are? They went out before I did in search of the water of life and have not returned. They are imprisoned between two mountains, said the dwarf. I have condemned them to stay there because they were so haughty. The prince begged for their release, and finally the dwarf agreed. I'll let them go, he said, but beware of them, for they have bad hearts. When his brothers came down the road, the youngest rejoiced to see them. He told them how things had gone with him, that he'd found the water of life, and had brought a cup full away with him, and had rescued a beautiful princess, who was willing to wait a year for him. And then their wedding was to be celebrated, and he would, he told them, then have a great kingdom. Now the three of them rode on together, and chanced upon a land where war and famine reigned. That king was in despair. Their trouble was so great. The prince gave him the loaf, and the king fed and satisfied his whole kingdom. Then the prince gave him the sword, and his enemies were defeated, and everyone could now live peacefully. The prince took back his loaf and his sword, and the three brothers rode on. But after this they entered two more countries where war and famine reigned, and each time the prince gave his loaf and his sword to the kings. He had saved three kingdoms. Now, the two eldest brothers watched this, and they spoke privately about it all. The youngest has found the water of life, and for that our father will give him the kingdom, the kingdom which rightfully belongs to us. He will rob us of all our fortune. They began to seek revenge and plotted with each other to destroy him. One day, the three of them camped on the seashore. The older brothers waited until he was fast asleep. Then they poured the water of life out of the cup and took it for themselves and refilled his cup with salt seawater. When they returned home, the youngest took his cup to the sick king. Drink this, father, and be cured, he said. The king drank a sip of the salty water, and he was much, much worse. All is lost, lamented the king. 
and the two eldest brothers came and accused the youngest of having intended to poison him. We have the true water of life, they said, and handed it to him. The king had scarcely tasted it when he felt his sickness departing. He became strong and healthy quite soon. The two brothers went to the youngest and mocked him. You found the water of life, they said. (laughs) You had the pain, and we had the gain. You should have been more clever and kept your eyes open. We took it from you while you were asleep by the sea, and when a year is over, one of us will go and fetch that beautiful princess. But don't you dare tell father, because he doesn't trust you. If you say a single word, you shall lose your life. But if you keep silent, you shall have it as a gift from us. Well, the old king was angry with his youngest son. He thought that he had plotted against his life. So he summoned his advisors and pronounced a sentence on his son and ordered that he should be secretly shot. So one day, when the prince decided to go hunting, the king's huntsman was told to go with him. When they were quite alone in the forest, the huntsman looked so sorrowful that the prince said to him, Dear huntsman, what is the matter? The huntsman said, I I can't tell you, although I should. Speak openly, said the prince, and I'll pardon you. Alas, said the huntsman, the king has ordered me to shoot you dead. The prince was shocked. Dear huntsman, he said, let me live. Exchange clothes with me and let me go. The huntsman was happy to do this. I wouldn't have been able to shoot you, he said. And then the huntsman returned home and the prince went further into the forest. Not long after this, three wagons of gold and precious stones came to the king. They were sent by the three kings who had saved their kingdoms with the help of the youngest son as an expression of gratitude. The old king was surprised, and he wondered if his son had been innocent. He went to the huntsman and said, How I wish that my son had lived. I'm grief-stricken that I had him killed. He still lives, said the huntsman. I could not find it in my heart to carry out your command. He told the king what really happened, and a stone fell from the king's heart. He sent a proclamation out to all of the surrounding lands, welcoming his son home in the hopes that he would hear it and return. In the meantime, the princess in the castle with the water of life had a bright golden road made right up to her palace. She told her people, whoever comes riding straight down the middle is the right one. Any who ride on the side must be turned away. The year was almost up, so the eldest brother thought that he would go to the king's daughter and give himself out as her rescuer, win her hand and the kingdom to boot. Off he went, and when he got near the palace, and saw the splendid golden road, he thought it would be a shame to ride on it 
he turned his horse aside and rode on the right side of it. When he came to the door, the servants told him that he was not the right one and sent him away. Soon after this, the second prince set out. And when he came to the golden road, he also thought that it would be a shame to ride on it and risk doing it damage. He turned his horse aside and rode up the left side of it. When he came to the door, the servants told him that he was not the right one and sent him away. Now the year was totally up, and the youngest son rode out to see his beloved. He thought of their meeting and all that had happened, and the joy they would share in the present and the future. His wish to be with her was so great that he didn't notice the golden road at all. He rode right up the middle of it, and when he came to the door, it was opened, and the princess received him with joy. She told him about his father's change of heart, and after the wedding, he went home and told the king everything. The two eldest brothers had put out to sea. They were never heard from again. And that's the end of the story. Before I go any further, I want to mention that if you think that you are hearing the sound of a cat purring in the background, you are. This is my companion, Wilt, and as he is a cat of advanced age and determination, I've decided to let him stay on the desk, so my apologies, Uh, but you don't argue with Wilt these days. Now, there are many places that you can enter into this story. It's very rich with moments and metaphors. I'm going to do a very quick walkthrough and note a few things about the story in the hopes that this helps you do some further unpacking. As I mentioned at the beginning, we have a sick kingdom. That is, we have a situation in which radical change is required for there to be renewal and new life. And we have these three sons. Now, I suggest that you think about this story, uh, that you think about the characters in this story as aspects of your own psyche. And when you do this, then we see that the two oldest brothers are aspects of self who are most closely aligned with the ego position. That is the part of us that goes through the normal motions of life and the part of us that over time becomes especially attached to a certain view of things and the way things are. The part of us that has an investment in the current kingdom, that is in the current rules and habitual ways of doing things, and an expectation of reward. It's that youngest part of the psyche, the youngest part, which is the most flexible, the most open, the closest to beginner's mind, perhaps, and also closest to 
feeling who is willing to listen to the dwarf. He's willing to listen to the dwarf, to an emissary from a different realm, to someone unfamiliar. And not only is he willing to listen to the dwarf, but he's willing to admit that he has no idea where he's going or what he's doing. This openness is what I was referring to at the beginning of this podcast, that turn towards the symbolic life, the recognition that there are other forms of information and other things that we need to know when we need to make a change. We see what happens to the two eldest. They continue going. They keep moving straight ahead in their normal fashion, and they get completely stuck, completely stuck. Now, the youngest goes to this magical place, and he finds the water of life. The water of life is in the symbolic realm, in the other world, and there is a princess and and a, and a problem there too, right? Because there's something that's frozen there also. So I want to note that the movement of energy and attention between the worlds, that is between what we call our outer existence, our quotidian routine, and our inner life, between the visible and the invisible, the flow of energy and attention between these realms is essential to both of them. There's an ecosystem, if you will, in these different realms of the psyche, and they need each other. Now, the prince uh, falls asleep. He wakes up just in the nick of time, and he manages to get the water of life, and leave. And you notice that he's taken something and he's left something behind. He's taken those golden rings. He's taken the sword and the loaf of bread that he found. And he's left a bit of his heel. He is permanently changed. He has sacrificed an aspect of the body that belongs to that other realm. So once again, we have this transaction. I was thinking about the taking of the rings, which might seem like kind of a crummy thing to do (laughs) because the princes are sitting there like stone. They can't resist. And it occurred to me that uh, when you make a strange journey like the one that this youngest prince is making, You need a way to keep that experience real for you, right? It's a type of souvenir, a reminder of both the serious purpose that brought him there, his father's illness, and his commitment to fulfilling the mission, and also the reality of this different place 
in which he's found himself. Now, you may have thought that the story was going to end with him uh, getting the water of life and going home and healing his father. We're kind of schooled to think that fairy tales always hand us simple, happy endings, but they don't. And in this story, the youngest son wants to get his brothers back. That is, he would like to integrate everyone into the new scenario. But there is a betrayal. There's a betrayal. There is something innocent in him. And we see that in his, I wouldn't really call it boasting, but his jubilant sense that because he's got the water, he's done. And his willingness to trust his brothers, that has to be tested. At a crucial moment, he doesn't listen to the dwarf. We make these mistakes, don't we? (laughs) No matter how much we learn, we are in process right up until the very end. Now, the story ends well. Those who are meant to be part of the new scenario. And the story gives us one other indicator about the two eldest sons and their lack of suitability for the newly rejuvenated kingdom. And this is in the form of their response to the golden road. They can't imagine walking on a gold road. That is what has the most value to them. Whereas the youngest, who's actually met the princess and been to her kingdom, doesn't even notice that. His attention is so focused on uh, what he really wants. In his way, he has also tasted the water of life, my friends, by making this journey by establishing this relationship with the other realm, by being willing to make a journey through the place of not knowing which way to go. I am certainly feeling called to that journey right now, and perhaps you are too. There is more that I could say about the story, but I'm going to stop there for today. Feel free to contact me if you have questions or comments about today's program. If you're new to Myth Matters, I invite you to head over to the Mythic Mojo website where you will find information about Myth Matters, a variety of ways to subscribe to this podcast, and also information about the other work that I do with people to use stories like this one to gain insight into life. I want to give a big welcome to new subscribers, Laura and Fernando and Natasha and Christian and Veronica, and also a shout out to the patrons and supporters of this podcast whose financial contributions keep it all going. 
In particular, thank you to Donna Santoro for her recent check. Thank you so much, Donna. I really appreciate it. If you are finding something of value here in Myth Matters and you have the means, I hope that you will consider joining me on Patreon. And that's it for me, Catherine Savela and Myth Matters. Thank you so much for listening. Take good care of yourself. And until next time, happy myth-making and keep the mystery in your life. 